0: This morning as we mark the beginning of a new season, um, the consistory has asked me to focus in particular on crops and labor. As we mark a new season of growth as well in the fields around us, we want to seek God's uh, blessing over the labors of our hands. And so in connection with that theme, we're going to read together from the letter, first letter of Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and our special focus will be on verses 6 and seven. If you have few Bibles, you can find that on page 1394. 1 Peter 5, we'll read verses 1 through 11. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the Word of God. As I said, our special focus will be verses 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. This is the Word of God. Beloved in Christ Jesus, our Lord, some of you may know that when I was serving as pastor before I was appointed professor at the seminary, I was living in Langley, British Columbia. I missed the mountains uh, a great deal. And when we lived there, I spent as much time as possible in all my spare moments going out into the mountains, whether it was on my motorcycle or climbing to the top with some friends or the much easier time when we took the gondola up to the top of Whistler, One of the healthy things about being in the mountains is the renewed perspective that it gives you. It somehow sets things back in place in terms of your place in the world in which you live. As you look down from the mountains, especially when you're at the peak and you look at the mountains surrounding you, you look at the place perhaps where you live, uh, which we could see from the one mountain peak, uh, it puts things in perspective. You can't help but feel very small. In some respects, what Peter is busy with in our text this, this morning is teaching us to be small, appropriately small. In fact, he does so already in the verses immediately prior to our text. He wants us to be small in relation to each other. He speaks of humility, and he speaks of being submissive to each other within the body of Christ. He wants us to to live as brothers and sisters, as people with humility, as people who are humble. And then in the words of our text, he changes tack, as it were, and he addresses our relationship with God, and he says we also need to, of course, be humble um, before God, before the God of heaven and earth, before the creator of the universe. If you think of those two perspectives, humility towards one another and humility towards God, you might think that the second, the latter, is much easier than the first. It's much easier to be humble towards God than it is to be humble towards each other. After all, who thinks of himself as big or great in comparison with Almighty God. And so we can think, if, if you're having trouble with humility before God, well, take yourself to the nearest mountain. I guess that would be a blue mountain here. Take yourself to the nearest mountain and, and stare down and remind yourself that you are small and God is great, or just as good. I imagine you have much better experiences here than, than close to the city of Hamilton. Look at the night sky, when, this, when the sky is clear and you see the stars. And you're reminded that we are small creatures and God is a great God. You might think it's easy to be humble before God, but when we think about it more deeply, it isn't as easy and natural as we might think. Because Peter is addressing a particular concern about Christians who are anxious. Christians who are worried and afraid. He speaks about all of our cares. In other translations, use the word anxieties there. He addresses people who have cares and concerns, worries and anxieties, and he teaches us that actually these things expose the fact that we are not humble before God. And the reality that to address these cares and concerns, we ought to humble ourselves before God because our worries, our cares and concerns expose a a lack of trust, a, a doubt in who God is. And so Peter's command comes to us in a very relevant way, doesn't it? If we reflect on our own situation uh, this morning, living as we do in an anxious age, as somebody has called it, the age of anxiety. And particularly this morning, as we come together to consider crops and labor, as we think about the future, simply the next season, it's good to reflect on our trust of the God who made the heavens and the earth and the God who is the giver of every good gift, the God who is sovereign over all things. And so we want to humble ourselves before God this morning. That's the theme. Humble yourself under the hand of your almighty God and Father. I love how Peter is so direct and personal and practical and real in his letter. I had the opportunity when I was in Langley of doing a whole series on the the letter of 1 Peter, so I'm just jumping into the middle of it here. But throughout the letter, Peter addresses these Christians where they are at. He doesn't paint any kind of uh, glorified picture of the Christian life, and that's what he's doing here as well. He's addressing Christians in the situation they find themselves. And if we think about the Christians Peter's addressing, we might think they had every reason to be filled with anxiety and worry. They had real reasons to be afraid in the world in which they lived. Peter speaks uh, other places in his letter about, about persecution. He describes a Christian life as a, a life that is often w- through fiery trials, Uses this image of of the refining process that God is busy with Christians, refining them through the midst of of fiery trials. Now you can imagine that, that this existence, this life that they were living in the Roman Empire as Christians under a hostile government, would have filled his readers with worry and anxiety. You can imagine that they had every reason to be afraid of what lay ahead. Who knew what was coming? In fact, Speaking in hindsight, we know that these very Christians faced serious hardship after this letter was written. The Christians faced increasing persecution at the hands of the Roman government. And you can think of, of Peter himself, who was most likely crucified for his faith. The question is in this kind of a situation, how, how would they respond? And how should they respond? We might know the answer to the first question how would they respond? That's exactly what Peter's addressing. He's addressing the fact that they're responding to their, their persecution, they're responding to the hardship with fear and that with lack of trust. And, and then Peter comes to them, and he comes to us this morning and says, let me tell you a different way. Let me teach you a different way to deal with all the things in this life that fill you with fear and anxiety and worry." Let me tell you a different way of how to deal with a future that is completely uncertain. You don't know what the rest of this day, let alone tomorrow or the next day or this whole season will bring. So Peter is addressing us uh, in in a very real way in the the things in life that undermine our confidence, undermine our trust that fill us with doubt. I want you to reflect this morning. What is yours? What are your particular anxieties and worries? What are the things that fill you with doubt or lack of trust? What keeps you awake at night? What is it that you're afraid of? Aren't we, in general, such anxious creatures? I think in, in our day and age, perhaps more so than ever, technology somehow has, has played upon our, our greatest fears. And sometimes these fears are entirely irrational. I know someone, a mother, who every time her, her, her baby eats is terribly afraid that he's going to choke. And I've cited statistics and made very clear um, suggestions. But there's this irrational fear that simply is very difficult to re- eradicate. And that's not a judgment. That's simply reality. And perhaps you have your own. You can think of your own irrational fears no matter how many statistics somebody can throw at you. It doesn't seem to go away. It's real. And so Peter comes to us, and he addresses us in this situation. Of course, we want to begin by simply saying um, some fears are rational as well. We're not not leaving those out of the picture either. Why not have a fear of accidents when they happen so frequently? Why not fear failure when you've failed in the past? Why not be anxious about anything because so much can go wrong? Who knows what the future holds? As we think of crops and labor, we're going to sow uh, the farmers among us, and in our society will sow seed into the ground. They have no control over whether or not that crop will be bountiful or not. They will do what they can, of course, but the result of it is entirely out of their hands. Who knows for you whether your paychecks will continue to come in week in, week out, or month in, month out? Who knows if you're bankrupt, your, your business won't go bankrupt in this coming year? Perhaps this uncertainty is causing your blood pressure to be raised here in this moment. That's not my intention. My intention is to say we need to know what to do with these things that in a, in a very real way ought to be responded to f- with fear and anxiety and worry. If we're living simply as those who are going about our own way. But Peter teaches us something different. Peter teaches us that ultimately the things that keep us up at night The things that fill us with worry are all the same and they require the same response and the response is humility before the God of heaven and earth. But more than that, it requires us to actively, actively humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That is, humility is not just a characteristic, it's not just who we need to be, uh, a fruit of the Spirit, but humility, being humble, is something that we need to actively do. Peter gives it as a command, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. What does he mean by that? Well, he means a few things. He means we need to know who God is. He means we need to recognize who God is. It means we need to to acknowledge his sovereignty over our lives, and it means we need to submit to him in faith. If we think of the catechism, it's probably a Lord's Day that's familiar to you. Lord's Day 9 and 10 deal with this beautiful doctrine of God's providence. Humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, what Peter tells us is knowing the truth of the catechism that God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, is the one who still upholds and governs them by his eternal will and providence. It is that he is in control over all things in this universe. That there's not a an atom that is is outside the control of our sovereign God. That there is not a millisecond in which he is not exercising his sovereignty entirely. And so when we think about humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, it involves, first of all, knowing who God is. Nothing comes by chance. But it also means submitting to it, trusting. That this sovereign God of heaven and earth is worth following, is worth being obedient to, is worth loving. That's the second part of, of that Lord's Day as well. It means that in him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. Notice how the catechism as well is so honest about what life is like. This is the phrase it uses to describe life, life of sorrow. We have a baptismal form, which many of you will be familiar with. It also has a very similar type of phrase. that says, this life which is no more than a constant death. How do you live in a world like this? Well, that's what Peter is addressing us on this morning. He's saying, let go of your your worries and fears and trust humble yourself before God that is submit yourself to the knowledge that God is sovereign over us and so that requires this humility that Peter is speaking about requires knowledge and trust and those two things have to go in hand in hand of course the more you know the more you can trust it is if you don't know God to be good why should you trust him If you don't know God to be all-powerful and sovereign, why should you trust him? So Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Let's not pretend this is easy, of course. It sounds like a rather passive exercise. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. It is not. If you recall what Peter writes immediately after our verse, verse 7, he describes the devil prowling around like a roaring lion. That's the life he's imagining. As he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he's imagining a world in which we are at war, in which we're at war and there's an enemy who is prowling around like a roaring lion. And so the, the message, the command, humble yourself is a call to war. It's a call for us to exercise spiritual warfare, to battle against the things in this life that threatened to distract us from the God who made us and the God who loves us. It's a call to resist the temptations to let these things distract us from the God who cares for us. It's a call to fight our feelings with what we know. You see that so often in the Psalms. The psalmist expresses his feelings very openly. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? We can address God with our feelings. This is how I'm feeling. But then the psalmists address their feelings with what they know to be true. This is how I feel, but I know this is true. I feel, God, as though you have abandoned me, but I know it's not true because you've told me in your word that you will never, ever forsake me. So Peter teaches us to humble ourselves by taking what we know and speaking to our souls. We can think of what we're going to confess this afternoon as part of this this, um, humbling ourselves. We're going to confess the, the Apostles' Creed again. I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. That's a battle cry. I think the Apostles' Creed is a war anthem. That as we go into this world which so threatens to undermine our faith and our trust, we defiantly say, I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe that I am not in control of my destiny. I believe that God is sovereign over everything in my life. And I believe that the best thing that I can do in this world is to submit myself to his loving care, to give up my efforts to control everything. That's not natural, is it? It's not a natural reaction. It's not a natural way to live. We need the extraordinary grace of God. We need the spirit of God to transform us. Thank God that faith is a gift because it was up to you to work it up in your heart, you would be at a loss now. You would go out of these doors and you'd say, well, uh, I'm, I'm stuck. I've tried. But we can come to God who said to us in Christ Jesus, he says, pray for my grace and the Holy Spirit and I will give it to you. And so we go to the Spirit and say, increase my faith, deepen my trust, allow me to submit myself to the sovereign hand of God. We need to pray then that our tunnel vision is removed because that's really what it is, isn't it? it we, we get stuck. Our, our gaze gets focused on the things that are directly in front of us and, and the Spirit opens our gaze to take in the God of the universe. We need to sing this song. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Let me ne'er forget. Let me never forget. Then Peter also gives us words of assurance. What's going to happen if you humble yourselves before God? What what happens when you submit to his sovereignty? Well, Peter tells us in this opening verse as well, verse 6, that he may exalt you in due time. He may exalt you in due time. He will exalt you. That's the glorious path of of the Christian, following in the footsteps of Jesus, taking up your cross and following Jesus means that you humble yourself now, but there will be exaltation. But note what Peter says, in due time. He will exalt you in due time. And, and with these words, Peter is using very specific words. He's evoking in our minds a story of the past. We, we heard the, the Ten Commandments, which gave in the very beginning that beautiful picture of freedom from slavery slavery from Egypt. And in the, in the Exodus story, so often it speaks of God's mighty hand. God's mighty hand is on the, on the Egyptians. God's mighty hand is there in leading the people out of slavery. And we have to remember these people were living in slavery for 400 years. Their exaltation came in time, but they had to wait in the meantime under severe pressure. And if you think even of the story of the Exodus From the time that Moses came to deliver them to the time that they were actually freed from Egypt, they had to undergo hardship. In fact, things got worse before they got better. As soon as Moses rose up, Pharaoh got upset, of course, at the Israelites and demanded more of them. Bricks without straw. Remember the story? And so as Peter speaks to these Christians, he's not saying, well, don't worry, tomorrow's going to be better. Keep a stiff upper lip because next year is going to be an improvement. He's not speaking as an, as an optimist here who simply has no basis on which to, to rest his confidence. He's speaking as somebody who has submitted to the sovereignty of God. As somebody who, who knows the end of the story. And the beginning of the eternal story. That is, Peter places things in the perspective of God's providence, he says in due time, that means in God's time. And it means in God's way, too, doesn't it? Because sometimes what what he calls exaltation is not what we might call exaltation. Sometimes it means increased spiritual blessings, even as we experience harder physical circumstances. Sometimes exaltation isn't rescue from danger, but a deeper fellowship with God himself. You can think of, of the prayers, no doubt, that the, our Ukrainian brothers and sisters have been offering up over these past months and have not experienced exaltation, but have experienced greater hardships. Is God not answering those prayers? Sometimes God takes things away from us so that he can give us more of himself. Sometimes God does not remove the hardships from us so that he can draw us more closely into his embrace. In due time, Peter says, and the reality is often in due time means at the end of time. That is, Peter roots our hope, our ultimate hope in the world that is to come. You see, things can get better in this life, but if that's all there is, then what good is it? If it's not the end of time in which God is going to set all things right, in which God will Take all the sad things and make them untrue, as Tolkien put it. Well, then we have no hope. We just have some better time before we all face death. Peter says to us what the Apostle Paul says elsewhere. Our present sufferings are preparing for us a weight of glory that will make everything we experience here and now seem temporary and fleeting. He will exalt you in due time. And then what Peter does then with, this, with these words as he reminds us what he's done throughout the letter is that we are sojourners here on this earth. We are pilgrims and exiles. Exiles is his word. Strangers is his word for Christians. He says, don't root your, your hope in the things in this life that, that make you seem successful and make life, from this perspective, worth living. He says, root your hope in eternity. Your citizenship, as Paul puts it, is in heaven. You are a people who belong to a different place, the new heavens and the new earth. We will only truly be at home when Christ returns and restores all things, when we experience full fellowship with God, when when there is no more anxiety and worry and fear because there's nothing to be afraid of when we have full fellowship with our almighty God. And of course, we need to know again, what do we do then on this pilgrimage? If we're not there yet, and we can't see the end, what do we do on this pilgrimage? Well, Peter teaches us the key, the key to humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand is this, verse 7, casting all your care on Him, or casting your anxieties on Him. Notice again how open he is about the fact that we have anxieties, In a sense, he doesn't even say, don't be anxious. He says, take those anxieties and cast them on the Lord. He acknowledges that we have things to be concerned about. There's no sense brushing it under the carpet. There's no sense in pretending that we have it all together. That ought to be the farthest thing in the Christian church, that we feel the need to pretend as though we have it all together. The question, rather, is what are we going to do with it all? Peter says, Cast your cares on him. And I think what Peter is remembering here, given the words that he's using, is something that Jesus uh, taught him while he was on earth. I want to read those words with you. They're sure to be familiar to, uh, to many of you. Uh, Luke chapter 12, if you want to follow along, you can follow along. But otherwise, you can, you can just listen. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, the so called Sermon on the Plain. And this is 12, verse 22. Luke 12, verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you, then, are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest?" Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You hear the the love of your Savior in this passage. Do not fear, little flock. I think that's one of my favorite phrases that Jesus calls his disciples when he was here on earth, little flock. You can hear the tenderness of Jesus' tone, can't you? He says, Listen to me, little flock. Look at the birds. We've seen a lot of them, a lot more of them more recently. Look at the birds, he says. Do they worry? Are they anxious about what tomorrow will hold? Imagine, if you can, what the birds think of all our frantic running around, frenetically imagining that we have everything under our own control. Don't they know? Don't they know they have a creator? Don't they realize that they have a heavenly father? What are they doing? Don't they trust that he will provide? Peter says, humble yourself by casting your cares upon the Lord. You are not in control. You are not the master of your domain. As we commit another year of crops and labor before God, we need to remind ourselves that God is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. Cast your cares upon him. And note that verb. Cast is not a a passive verb. That's an intense uh, verb. You don't cast something casually. You cast something deliberately, desperately, even. Peter doesn't say, toss your cares on him. Toss your anxieties on Jesus. Cast your anxieties, cast your cares upon Jesus. Take your worries and your fears, the very real ones that you have every reason for holding on to, and throw them away from yourself. Throw them like you're hurling a rock as far as you can to the middle of the lake. Cast them away from you. Throw them to Jesus. You catch my drift. Peter says, cast them away. Well, how do you do that? Paul, I think, gives us the clue when he gives a similar command. He says this much the same thing. He says, do not be anxious about anything. And then he follows it up with this. What should we do if we're anxious in everything? By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I love the way that Eugene Peterson renders this in his paraphrase, the message. He says this. He says, shape your worries into prayers. You can remember that one, too. Like that's, that's pretty easy. Shape your worries into prayers. When you take your worries, turn them into prayers. The proper response to God's sovereignty to humbling ourselves under his mighty hand is to get on our knees and pray constantly. I appreciated the little blurb. I don't know who wrote the blurb in the bulletin, but it was beautiful, uh, the linking between ora et labora, pray and work. That's what Peter is saying here, pray Pray that God will remove the burden off your chest, the weight on your shoulders. And so often you will find that in your very prayer he has done so. Have you trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? You should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God is taking it to the Lord in care, in prayer but why? We want to ask one last question. Why should be, you be confident of this? Why should you be confident that if you approach life this way, that this should be the, the key, the clue? Well, the text ends with the most beautiful assurance, an earth-shattering reality, to be honest. Peter says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, let's get back on the mountain. Realize how small we are. Let's look at the stars and realize how vast the universe is and so how much vaster, if that's a word, how much vaster God is. The God who who called this universe into being with his powerful word. Now let's go back to Peter and hear him say to us, he cares for you. The sovereign God of heaven and earth cares for you. Listen to Jesus again. He's like... You are of so much more value to the God of heaven and earth than these sparrows and robins that we see flying about in the sky over us. If he cares about the littlest of birds, then the fact he cares about you ought to fill you with great confidence. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. He knows your worries and fears and anxieties. He knows because he entered into our reality. He walked the road with us. He entered into this broken world. He took on our infirmities, our weaknesses, because Jesus walked the road that we walked. He knows what it is to live in this fallen world. Not that he failed to trust as we do. Not that he ever failed to bring to his father what he needed to bring to him. No, but he wasn't ashamed to be with his disciples. He is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. God is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, and he bears us with patience when we have weaknesses, and he bears us with love when we fall short. Just think of a moment in the life of the disciples with Jesus, one you're no doubt familiar with, the Sea of Galilee, one of those many trips across the Sea of Galilee and a storm whipped up, and Jesus was fast asleep in the bottom of the boat. Now, Let's remember who Jesus is, the Son of God. The Son of God who, who spoke the world into existence, through whom all things were made. The Son of God is, is sleeping there in the boat with them. And how do they respond? They're terrified. They're terrified. They shake him awake and they, they say to him, Jesus, don't you care about what's going on here? Don't you see what's going on around you? Don't you care about us? We're going to drown. And now hear the tender words of our Savior, much the same tone as Luke 12. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? I'm right here. I'm right here. Don't you trust me? Don't you know me? Don't you think I care? In the same way he knows our own weak faith. He knows when we doubt. He knows our fears and he says, bring it to me cast it on me because I care for you. Matthew tells us that immediately after, the, after he rebuked the disciples tenderly, he rebuked the wind and the waves and there was a great calm. I think it's a beautiful picture of, of the peace that only Christ can give us when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Paul talks about a peace that surpasses understanding When we let go of our worries and fears and we rest under God's sovereignty that's the peace, the calm that God can give us. Only God can give it. Only God can calm the storms that rage in our hearts or rage in the world in which we live. And so we say I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth and he cares for me. He cares for me. He loves me. He loves you. For the sake of Christ, the catechism puts it, He is my God and my Father. I haven't even touched on that yet. He's adopted us to be His children and heirs. Does that not blow you away? Is that not the recipe for a completely earth shattering, mind blowing perspective on this life? Say, My God cares for me. He is able to do all things because He's Almighty God. He is willing to do it because he's my faithful father, because he's purchased me with the precious blood of Jesus. And so as we entrust another year to God's care, remember he cares for you. Your cares are his cares. Your concerns are his concerns. He is the answer to your fears and your worries and your anxieties. He's the answer to all of it. If you're still doubting still lack trust? Look at the cross. You want to see how much God cares for you? Look at the cross of Jesus. The Father loved us so much that he was willing to give up his only son and pour out his wrath upon him so that we could be adopted into his family. Look at the cross. See your Savior who was willing to submit his body to the cross, to take on your guilt and your shame because he loved you and he loves you to the end. As he told his disciples, he cares for you. Too often, we're like Martha. Martha was distracted and concerned by all sorts of things and we run around like crazy, like chickens with our heads cut off. We need to return to the feet of Jesus and sit there and listen to him saying, don't be afraid, oh, you of little faith. Trust me. I love you. Amen.